It's a class job. One mistake, it'll blow the crap out of this place. <laughs> Literally. Mad Max Minute, one mistake, and we're watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 19, which begins with Master Blaster stomping around Underworld, and it ends with Blackfinger trying to resolve an explosive situation. <laughs> Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy we're, Monday. We are back from the weekend. Yes, we are. And we join Max and Pig Killer. They had a nice little instance of meeting each other last week, so they're best buds now. Or at least as good of friends as someone can be with Max Rakitansky. This might be another Gyro Captain situation. Yes, although I think Max considers Pig Killer more of a friend than he did of the Gyro Captain for most of Road Warrior. Yeah? Yeah. Because I kind of look at Max and I see him just kind of going along with Pig Killer as they walk off screen in this first shot. Not so much because of any real camaraderie, more just following the guy that knows his way around. And I definitely feel like Pig Killer is more willing to be friends than Max. And Max just needs to open himself up and be open to friendship. He does. He does seem to keep running into these people who want to be his friend. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting parallels between the Gyro Captain and Pig Killer. First of all, we don't know their real names. Right. They're both captives of different people, but they're both captives. And they both really want to be Max's friend. Well, I mean, nothing compares. Nothing compares <laughs> to Goose. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Over the past two movies, we've talked a lot about the animal replacements yeah. and how they keep dying and, and things like that. But people keep trying to fill that goose hole. And in every movie, there is a potential best friend figure that just never really works out. Mm -hmm. oh, never have a best friend again. I mean, Goose and Max were such good friends. Goose had such a positive effect on Max. I would say that Goose probably had just as much of a good effect on Max as Jesse and Sprague. Yes, like, I agree. Those three people in his life, he was great. Yes. And, ugh. I just realized I, I, I got on this tangent about Goose and it made me feel good. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, he burned alive. He was human beef jerky by the end. Yes. Yes, he was. And you brought that up. Yeah, I know. I had an observation about Pig Killer in this scene. As they're walking away, going back to work, we get to see, I call him the eavesdropping guy. His gaze follows them walking away and he is emaciated. So that makes me think Pig Killer, who still looks relatively healthy, I think he's still fairly new to the manual labor game. I am willing to bet that this eavesdropper guy, and his ears are huge, so good luck not <laughs> eavesdropping. But I feel like he was sitting there shoveling his pig droppings, and he was listening to Pig Killer say, Oh, I got the big one. I got life. But that's all right. Life down here is like two, three years. And that other guy is like, hold on, what? Uh, I got life. What are you talking about two, three years? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I feel like he's turning around to look at them, be like, uh, what did he just say? He could also just be really curious about this guy who came down here to work willingly. That can't be a normal thing. Well, I don't know about that. I kind of assume that he's being paid. Yeah, there's probably some sort of barter deal where you can go up to the collector and be like, hey, I'll shovel pig poop for however long, like a day. How much grain will that get me? How long with a woman will that get me? Yeah. And yeah. the collector will be like, one quarter portion. <laughs> Keep going back to that Uncar Plutt thing. I, I love it. It's so good. It is. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> Pete by proxy. <laughs> oh, I also had another thought about the eavesdropping guy. Okay. He was so interested in what they were discussing and following them as they walked away that I'm wondering if he's an informant of some kind. Oh, like one of those Game of Thrones little birds type of things? Yes. Now, whether he has been pre-hired to just pay attention to what the bottom of the barrel workers are talking about, or if he's just being opportunistic, mm -hmm. saying, oh, something interesting is going on here. I'm going to pay attention so that I can then take that information and go sell it. I mean, everything can be bartered. Yeah. It just needs to get bartered to the right type of person. Yes. So I'm not sure I trust him. Now, we don't really see him ever again. No, we don't. I mean, I think we catch sight of him later on when all of the captives have come up to spectate at Thunderdome. But... Oh, I can't wait till we get to that. That is the dumbest thing. Why? You don't let prisoners go watch the main event. They don't get to go to the Super Bowl. They're prisoners for a reason. They don't get luxuries like that. Anyways, we'll talk about that when we get to it. That's going to be an entirely different thing yes. for an entirely different day. <laughs> I am very much looking forward to that Thunderdome fight because oh it gosh. is ridiculous. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah. I could talk about cheating. Oh, it'll be great. <laughs> if you're planning on talking about rules in the Thunderdome, I feel like you're going to be sorely disappointed. We'll talk about it when we get there. Right. Elsewhere in Underworld, Master Blaster is stomping around and we're following him as he walks down this hallway. And he comes into this, I'd say sort of like a mechanic's garage area, and he's looking for the mechanic <laughs> that he calls a bum, and he calls him out by name. Blackfinger is the name of this mechanic. And there is one of these nameless side characters that point underneath a vehicle, and we hear the words, he's down there, and then they kick Blackfinger, and he pops out, and he says, hi. That's kind of his opening line in any situation. He just starts off by saying hi. Hi. I really love this reveal yeah because they set it up to be a reveal the music has become very heavy and ominous and we hear the name blackfinger which is a, an ominous name and they're stomping and they're setting us up to expect i don't know something big and scary well i love the music in this because we hear it's like boom 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 and that's like blasters music as he's stomping around and so you can tell from the music that here in underworld they are top of the pile kings of the underworld so to speak and when blackfinger slides out from underneath that vehicle he's just a guy he's the mechanic and i love his getup he's got more or less an automotive crawler built into his outfit where he's got these wheels everywhere so he can just seamlessly slide under vehicles and around them and he just wears it all the time yeah i did notice the wheels on the back of his shoes that i found very curious mm -hmm. and i have to admit that i looked online if there was any sort of mechanic shoe that had wheels on it to assist in 
they're laying on the creeper and there isn't it's no it's nonsense it is rather nonsensical and i'm not surprised that no one recreates that Speaking of outfits, as we're watching Master Blaster walk through this tunnel way before they even get to the garage, we get a really good look at Master. Because in all of these shots where Max was looking down the periscope into Underworld, we got a lot of good angles on Blaster. We got to see him with the giant helmet and the straps and the pants and all that stuff. Master is wearing like this little samurai-inspired outfit. He's got the fancy helmet and the sectioned shoulder pads and things kind of reminds me of Labatouche from back in the first movie. When he was introduced, he was wearing his kendo getup, which is an Asian-inspired combat gear. Yes. So Master is wearing, likewise, Asian-inspired combat gear. It does seem to be an odd parallel. It's easier to explain now in the third movie than it was in the first movie. The first movie, civilization was still around the fall didn't happen until after that yeah now in the third movie things are being scrapped like you take what you find and if that's what you have found that fits you then you put it on Mm -hmm. also i can't remember master's history and sequence of events has always confused me a bit which we'll address once we get to more of his transition into a professor type but Based on the ease of that transition, I'm wondering if he used to work like at a university or at a museum where he had access to things like this, museum pieces yeah. of old samurai gear or things like that. And that's where he got it from. It's just another example of how an anti-entity movie would be better for the lore of this series because then we could see where Auntie meets up with master and how blaster factors into it and all of this other stuff because we can see where is master getting all of the stuff that he keeps in that little cabin on top of the generator vehicle machine train thing where does he find these weird artifacts that he wears i'm willing to bet there was probably a trader came through with samurai armor and kabuki masks and things like that and iron bar took one thing master took another thing I like that idea that somebody else may have ransacked a museum. Oh, yeah. I'm willing to bet someone probably came in and had a really good trading day. Yes. Okay. I kind of like that. All Mm -hmm. right. Speaking of trading things, we know Jedediah the pilot came to Bartertown. He traded in the vehicle, the camels, everything in it. We saw the vehicles being auctioned off, but Max's wagon truck ute thing was brought down here to Underworld. And I have to wonder if all of the vehicles brought to Bartertown are more or less bought by Auntie so that she can add them to her fleet and they get sent down to Underworld to get converted to work on methane. I would think that such a purchase would almost be assumed because if the state owns all of the fuel, then naturally the state would own all of the vehicles. Like, what would be the point of owning a vehicle if you don't have fuel? Well, the point, I mean, camels, that's that's the point. Yeah. That's why you would have a vehicle with no fuels, because you have camels. In the novelization, they make a point of saying that Master specifically wanted this car for himself. Really? Yes, it is going to be his car. Okay. Yes. Well, we're going to see him using it later on in minutes coming up. And it's got this nice seat up on top of the, I guess, main cab of the ute. So maybe he did want it so that a guard would drive him around and he'd be able to sit up on the camel driving seat for everyone to see. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a possibility. 
I definitely have some questions about that that we'll get to when we get to it. Yeah, but before Master can ever think of using this vehicle, the Black Finger has got to work on it, and the Black Finger has found a bit of a problem. But before we go into that problem, Black Finger is played by a guy named George Spartels. He is best known for his role in this movie as well as other roles in 1984's Sweet and Sour, the 2009 to 2012 TV show Packed to the Rafters, and a run on Neighbors from 1992 to 1993. George Spartels was born April 25th, 1954. His first appearances were on the TV show Matlock Police starting in 1971, and he went on to appear in several other recognizable titles such as Division 4, Homicide, and Prisoner Cell Block H before his 18-episode run on Sweet and Sour in 1984. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome was not his first theatrically released movie role, but it's certainly the most internationally renowned. Spartels stuck with television mostly as his career continued. Between 1985 and 1999, Spartels was one of the presenters on the children's program Play School. His most recent acting credit is for Packed to the Rafters in 2012, and there's nothing else on IMDb after that. That television show, Play School, I don't want want to make the broad sweeping statement to say that play school is the Australian equivalent of Sesame Street for Americans, but it certainly feels that way. Okay. Play school doesn't have Muppets. That's one of the big differences. And I think play school might actually focus more on education as opposed to Elmo. Okay. Elmo is for our international listeners, an annoying red puppet who has the mind of a three-year-old and really doesn't contribute much of anything. Oh. But children love him. Children love him. He's annoying is what he is, but that's horse of a different color. Anyway, Blackfinger is underneath this vehicle that has been brought down to him, and he reports that they have got a real problem, and that problem comes in the shape of 12 pounds of dynamite, all set to explode. Did Max up his game since Road Warrior? Oh, I think so. He definitely had to change his game because with the interceptor booby trap, I think he leaned very heavily on the gasoline in the tanks as an accelerant. When it got to the point where there was no more fuel, he had to move on to a different explosive. So he went with dynamite. Good point. Yep. I did a little bit of digging about dynamite and that probably got me flagged on something because what doesn't get me flagged when I'm researching stuff about this movie? Yeah, I started to do some research and then I started thinking of terms that I'm like, oh, I shouldn't type that. Yeah. And I stopped. I definitely typed in the phrase destructive power of dynamite. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have done that on the computer I was on, but yeah. it's a little late now. The phrase that stopped me that I did not type in was how much dynamite would it take to destroy a car? <laughs> and that was the one I was like, I'm not going to type that. Were you uh, your work computer? Yeah. Yeah, so I only hope that the NSA agents that are listening to this podcast, hey, government agents, share this with your friends. Don't just listen to us. Have your friends listen to us as well. Subscribe. <laughs> Come along for the ride. And if we're very lucky, the same agents that watch you at work are the ones listening to this podcast. I certainly hope so. <laughs> Anyway, like I said, I did a little bit of dinging about dynamite. It is usually sold in the form of cardboard cylinders about 20 centimeters or 8 inches long and about 3.2 centimeters or an inch and a quarter in diameter. They weigh usually about 190 grams or a half a pound each. 
and a stick of dynamite produces roughly one megajoule of energy. Other sizes also exist, rated by either portion, quarter stick, or half stick, or by weight, or anything like that. 12 pounds of dynamite at half a pound per stick is 24 sticks. We're going to get a peek underneath the car in one of these later shots this minute, and we can see 15 sticks. So there's another nine sticks hiding somewhere else underneath that car. There's a lot there. All right. So dynamite is usually rated by weight strength, namely the amount of nitroglycerin it contains, usually from 20 to 60%. For example, 40% dynamite is composed of 40% nitroglycerin and 60% dope, which is the absorbent storage medium mixed with the stabilizer and any additives. Dynamite is essentially stabilized nitroglycerin, which is incredibly volatile. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was nitroglycerin. Yeah. Okay. An important distinction to make, dynamite is not the same thing as TNT, because TNT is trinitrotoluene, and I learned that from the Richie Rich movie. Okay, so you didn't have to Google that. Right. Thank goodness. <laughs> Master is not happy to hear about this. He rather incredulously shouts problem and then turns around and says, you expert, disarm. And I have never walked up to a mechanic and asked them to disarm an explosive before, but I doubt that they would oblige me. Likewise, I've never seen 2008's Hurt Locker, but I certainly don't remember ever hearing about a car repair subplot. I don't <laughs> think car mechanic and a bomb defusal expert are overlapping circles on a Venn diagram. Generally speaking, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only thing that might be in the middle there is Max. Mm -hmm. And... Oh, the black finger. He is lying there on the ground and he looks up at Mash. He says, right. And then he slides underneath the truck and he slides back out. And it almost looks like he's going to say something else. And I wonder if he's about to explain to Master the difference between trucks and bombs. <laughs> and then thought better of it, said right a second time and rolled right back under the wagon. Yeah, this is where I usually get into trouble is that I agree the first time and then I come back a second time and run my mouth mm -hmm. when I should just go with it the second time too. So I need to be more like Blackfinger <laughs> and just roll with it. But what's going through his head? Actually, we're going to find out what's going through his head. But seriously, what is he supposed to do here? I mean, the next shot we see after he rolls under the wagon is we see him under the wagon. He's got this handheld light. And oh my gosh, the expression on his face as he's looking up at these bundled sticks of dynamite. It strikes me as the expression of pants crapping terror at the fact that you've been given a job that you know you can't handle and has literally explosive consequences. He's basically been given a guest list and said, okay, you're in charge of the seating chart at our wedding and you've never met anybody on that list. <laughs> explosive situation. Yeah, I just, if I were him, I'd be like, I, there's no way I'm going to survive this. I have to fix it. I cannot fix it. And in my not fixing it, it's going to explode probably right in my face. Yeah. And you also get the sense as he's looking at these sticks of dynamite underneath the car. Yes, we are seeing it for the first time as we're joining him, but he's been doing this for who knows how long, ever since the vehicles brought down, ever since they discovered that dynamite, he's been under there trying to figure out how to disarm it. And then the boss shows up and just tells him to do it. And it's like, what do you think I've been doing for the last however long? I've been 
trying to disarm this thing, and I'm at that point where it's like, I don't know what to do. Which is perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. To anybody but Master, that is perfectly reasonable. Yeah. We see Master, he leans back in that seat that he sits in, almost like he's, oh, well, you know, this will be taken care of just because I want it to. And it's like, oh... It's just awful. So Blackfinger pops up on the other side of the car, and he says, it's a class job. One mistake, it'll blow the crap out of this place. And then there's a beat for comedy, and he says, literally. <laughs> and we're once again reminded that this movie is a little goofier than the yep. last two. If there was any doubt, this is a rated PG-13 movie designed to have a more broad appeal. Yes, they fit a poop joke in there. Okay, when you're in Underworld literally surrounded by poop you're gonna tell poop jokes the fact that this is the first poop joke yeah although it's not really the first poop you could joke. argue that whole you know bs no pig poop that could technically be the first poop joke yes i think it is it's definitely not a poop joke like this one like ha poop yeah it's more of a clever way with words, but I would say that that's the first poop joke in the movie. I definitely appreciate a good pun. Yes. Yeah. And this is a good pun. Yes. I was curious about this idea of one stick of dynamite producing one megajoule of energy. It's kind of hard for me to conceptualize the idea of measuring energy output. For instance, one joule of energy is the energy required to take 100 grams, so like a tomato, and lift it one meter vertically from the surface of the earth. Like, how do you conceptualize that amount of energy? One joule is also the energy released when you drop that tomato back onto the ground from one meter in the air. One joule is also the list continues the energy required to accelerate a one kilogram mass through a distance of one meter at the consistency of gravity like it's very consistent as far as the measurements we're working with here mm -hmm. but it's just hard for me to wrap my head around especially when you consider that one megajoule is one million times the energy of one joule like it's okay. huge and max has 24 sticks of dynamite strapped to the bottom of his wagon so that's a lot of tomatoes being thrown a meter yes well a jewel i did not do well in physics in high school so this is i don't remember any of this kind of stuff but to lift a tomato up off the ground one meter into the air just by picking it up that costs me my body one jewel of energy yeah that is so minute think about picking up a tomato and only bringing it up three feet into the air it's not even up to your holding your hand out in front of you height. That amount of energy is so minuscule that times that by a million and then times that by 24, yes, that's a massive amount of energy, but I don't know. It works in my head. Okay. I, <laughs> yes, the numbers like pile up really, really fast, but the number that you're beginning with is so small. Right. That, yeah, it is a ginormous destructive force. But, you know. I feel like 24 sticks of dynamite attached to this wagon may not be enough energy to blow a hole in the roof of Underworld, but it's certainly enough to destroy everyone in a significant vicinity and maybe cause some collapsing. I don't think it'll blow a clean hole in the roof. That's a bit too precise, but it yeah. might cause a bit of a sinkhole. Uh, you know what? I was going to say I don't think dynamite is that precise, but they use dynamite to blow tunnels through mountains, like for railroads. 
So there has to be some kind of precision to dynamite. So did Max load the vehicle up with dynamite in any kind of a precise way designed to blow mostly up or designed to blow mostly out? Does Max even have those kind of skills? Or to him, is dynamite dynamite? It's going to kill whoever's trying to steal his car anyways. I think it's the latter. So without that kind of precision, I think it's just an explosion. It's going to be messy. It's going to be big. Yep. Doesn't really matter what direction it goes in. It's just going everywhere. Mm-hmm. Master does not appreciate the poop joke. He simply pubs his fist and says, think what to do. And we heard Master say a couple of things mm-hmm. this minute. We've heard him speak. There are instances later on in this movie where he speaks in a more coherent way with longer sentences. But in these situations, he's being very short. He's being very simple. He's not using the entirety of his grammatical upbringing. And I gotta wonder, is he speaking this way because he's dumbing down his speech because he thinks everyone around him is too dumb to understand normal speech? Or is English not his first language and he's been practicing at it, but he's not fully committing it to practice? I've always thought that it was the first one that he just assumed everybody around him was so stupid that he needed to simplify his speech to that level. I've also thought maybe Blaster needs speech simplified to that level. Yeah. So Master speaks that way to everybody. You know, I like that. I like that idea. It's probably the least mean to Master Well, of the possible theories. I'm definitely getting the sense in just these first couple of moments with Master, that he is that mean, that he would do that. He would just talk down to people this way. Mm -hmm. But I know that by the end of the movie, he's not going to consistently stay an awful person. He's more going to become a prop, actually, but that's an entirely different thing for way later in this movie. (laughs) But I like the idea that he has to simplify his speech whenever he's working with Blaster, and so he's just gotten so in the habit of using simplified speech That he just does it with everybody. That's just how he is. And since Master and Blaster work as a unit, Blaster needs to understand everything that Master is saying, not only to himself, but to other people. Mm -hmm. He needs to understand that Master is pressuring Blackfinger to fix the car, to... Disarm the dynamite? To disarm the dynamite. So perhaps it can be seen as a courtesy to Blaster... Yeah. So that he understands everything that's happening around him. And in doing so, Blaster is better able to serve Master. It's like when you have someone who speaks sign language and someone deaf is in the room. And even if that person who speaks sign language is talking to a hearing person, they're still signing out what they're saying. That way the deaf person can stay involved in the conversation. Yes. I kind of see it that way. It's kind of hard to tell because in this first portion of the movie... Master is cast as a villain of sorts. Mm -hmm. We are told that he is arrogant. We are shown that he is arrogant. We do not mind. As of right now, we do not mind that Blaster is on the chopping block. Doesn't stay that way the whole movie. Things are going to change. Yeah. So it's hard to judge him on why he's doing things. Is he doing it because he's arrogant and he's the villain of this portion of the story? Or is he doing it for some genuine reason because he's really not that bad of a guy? Yeah. Hmm. It's definitely something to think about. Yeah. The last thing we see this minute is 
Blackfinger receiving the order to think what to do, he's going to say, yeah, right, yeah. And he's going to start walking around the vehicle and he's going to verbalize his thought process at the beginning of Wednesday's minute. So we're going to put a pin in the situation here. We're going to hold off until then and we'll listen to him talk himself through and we'll see how that goes for him. So come on back then. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 19 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time